Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 22. Ventidos. Ole. We have a special guest today. We do. Our new assistant, Perry Siegel. Say hi, Perry. Hi. How's your first day going? It's great. You guys are great. (laughs) Perry, I've known since she was a baby. Yeah. A baby baby? A baby baby. Right? Yeah. Like a baby. Really little. Yeah. And we went to the Toa Swift concert together. That's real bonding. To the Red Tour. It was really real (laughs) bonding. It was me, Perry, her sister, her dad, and my mom. (laughs) It was was great. Yeah. We were like stuck in the parking lot for like hours. Right. That's right. We were. We were stuck in Gillette parking lot. Forever. Gillette Stadium. Getting out or getting in? Getting out. Yeah, that's what happened to me. What? When? Well, not at Gillette Stadium, but when I saw (laughs) the police in concert, believe it or not, probably similar teenage years, we were stuck getting out of the parking lot for like an hour and a half. I think it's like a typical thing that happens. Yeah. All right, we're getting getting sidetracked. Anyway, Perry's at NYU (laughs) studying. Film and television. Tisch School of the Arts. Yeah. Like Josh. <laughs> I know you guys keep having all these conversations about classes that I have no idea what, what you're talking about. Like, cool, guys. Cool. Yeah, you're missing out. Yeah, I know. I guess I should have gone to film school. Oh, well, I went to performing arts <laughs> and arts management. But, um, yeah, so Perry, have you seen any circus? No, I haven't. So Perry's first introduction. We're going to go to see Paramore together. Mm-hmm. Go see a Cirque du Soleil theater show. It's a good start. We saw Cirque du Soleil show last week. Yeah, we did. We saw Toruk. 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 Is, is that how you pronounce it? Unclear. Unclear. What was it about? It was um, a little unclear as well. Well, what was the bigger picture? <laughs> uh, it was about Avatar, and it was like the Avatar world, but I thought it was going to be like the Avatar movie, but it was just taking place in the Avatar world, and these two boys go on a journey to find like five artifacts in order to save the avatar land or something along those lines the navi yeah navi yeah it's actually kind of cool i mean i've never (laughs) seen a circus show based on a movie before uh no which is i think brand new and we went backstage afterwards because we knew one of the stage managers kevin and we saw James Cameron. We saw saw James. I'll say we met James Cameron, but we didn't. We literally saw him from afar. But we did stand super close to Sigourney Weaver, who looked amazing. I she say, looked amazing. She did look great. One of the things that I was most impressed with with Turok was the projections. Yeah. Kevin, this, the stage manager, was telling us they have 41 projectors that cover the entire arena. And they have these cool, um, I don't know what you would call it, but basically they're these chips that you can put onto somebody's costume. They're little dots. Like little dots, so that you don't need anybody to operate the spotlight. The spotlight through computer technology and computer vision can see those dots on the costume and just track the performer as they run around the arena, which made for like what seemed like an impossible spotlight job, but it makes I sense was now. I was like, that who's it's... doing all these spotlights? How are they working? And then when Kevin told us um, that they were just computer operated, I was like, well, that makes, that makes sense. But it, yeah, the, the projection mapping was really cool. They had this one effect where basically um, near the end of the show, there's like the lava. whole stage is covered in lava. <laughs> uh, and it's going to destroy the tree mm, of like souls. Souls. I and was going to say the tree of size, but that's the bridge of size in Venice. Tree of Souls. Tree of Souls. That's what they plug their hair into. Yeah. 
to I think in- we're really, really butchering the Avatar story. <laughs> I think people look at it, but <laughs> what what was cool about it? So the whole stage, you can imagine an arena projected down, looks like lava's running all over the ground, and sort of where the performers enter from the back of the the arena, they have these big walls that are also projected on, and they clump the walls, and all this water, projected water, rushes off of the from behind the walls like a waterfall to put out the lava is like essentially the the premise or the bit that's happening but they also had all these fog machines built into the sage so it looked like you know hot or cold water was hitting hot lava yeah. and steam and yeah i was i was very much wowed by the by, by the uh the production value but if i had to had to say anything about it i felt i left wishing there was more circus yeah there wasn't much circus there was like a straps act a silks act a handstand act all sort of in the same spot yeah i was disappointed i was disappointed in the lack of circus i would say but i did have an amazing time standing on the stage and feeling like jay-z <laughs> at barclay center yeah yeah, I mean, we can't not see a Cirque du Soleil show or a circus show. That's, that's five, five blocks from our office. Yeah, but it was really fun, and I would say go for this for the projection mapping. Perry, you're gonna learn so much about circus. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> you already don't. I know, do you know what straps is? No. Straps are right. Straps is. Straps is. Straps are. Do you know what straps are? It's like a circus act where you have two seatbelts you hang from the ceiling and you sort of like tie your hands into the seatbelts like it was gymnastics rings and you fly around. Josh did that. I did really? do that. Yes. Before I knew him, though, unfortunately. Yeah. Lost, Lindsay, I think <laughs> somewhere like deep in my computer, I have an act video that I think only you have seen yeah, and people it. who saw it live have yeah. seen. A girl yeah, like rips off. Oh, you have to see it. A girl, they like start out and then the girl comes on stage and she rips Josh's shirt off, like literally rips it off and then like throws it and they do this like whole sexy strap. Like, oh, if only I knew, known you then. Yeah. Oh, well. The good old days. The good old days. Do you want know silks are? No. Silks are very similar. They're sort of like two pieces of like long fabric that you hang from the ceiling oh, and people yeah, climb up and down. Yeah, you yeah. can show me a video of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you can take classes oh. with silk. Maybe we should go do that too. We should. Oh, yeah. Okay, take so a circus class. we'll do a silk class. I won't do another flying trapeze class, but you could go with Josh. <laughs> I strongly recommend that anybody who's following us on Instagram, like, go back through my my Josh Avener Instagram history. There's this hilarious video of Lindsay doing spring trapeze where she lets go of the bar too early and shoots off, like, 20 feet into the net. <laughs> I was trying to do a backflip. They were like, okay, now you're ready to do a backflip. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm ready to do a backflip. And he goes, it's very easy on the count of three let go and pull your knees to your chest. And I was like, okay, I could probably do that. So he goes, one, two, three, and I blacked out. Don't remember what I was doing. Had no control of my body. I let go of the roll of the pole and flew off. And it's all on video on my Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty hilarious. It's embarrassing, but really funny. Yeah, you might have to scroll back a little bit. Yeah, but so next week we start rehearsals for summer. I'm so excited. Yeah. And on Monday we have our cast meet and greet and our first length rehearsal one of the things i want to talk about this week on the podcast is the rehearsal process of a show particularly a circus show and something that keith bindlestiff had brought up um two episodes ago about how a lot of european circus companies have quite a bit of rehearsal time because of government and institutional support and space support like you can go to this building and you know create your show over the course of one to six months. I mean, so this show takes a year to make, and we're creating ours in two and a half two weeks. Two and a half weeks, baby. Woohoo! So yeah, I know. 
I think it's kind of interesting the way in which we're tackling it. What what we think will work and what we've done so far is to have uh, individual sessions with our cast prior to the formal start of rehearsals. So if you follow us on Instagram, we'll have seen a few backstage shots of working on Olga Karmansky's Contortion Act. We've, uh, last week, I worked on the duo Trapeze Number with Anya and Melissa. This week we're working on, I'm not going to say who our psycho killer is, but we're working on some of the psycho killer bits. And then once rehearsals get started, that's really when we kick into high gear and we work on things that have the whole cast yeah. involved. I mean, one of the biggest challenges of rehearsing a circus show is obviously this space to rehearse in because you need a ceiling and you need to be able to rig circus apparatuses and you also need mats. So luckily with this show, it's like half dance, half circus. So for the first week we're rehearsing... It's like a third dance, a third circus, and a third comedy. Yeah, yeah. And I... For the first week, we're rehearsing at Mark Morris Dance Center, which is like a beautiful dance space. Also right by our office. Also right by our office. And it's perfect and it's beautiful and it'll be great for the dance. But then, you know, you're stuck because you can't really rehearse all the circus acts until the second week. So we're kind of like plopping in little places at the Muse, a rehearsal space in Brooklyn that's wonderful um, for circus. So it'll be an interesting rehearsal process. Yeah, I think if we were doing a bigger a bigger show or we weren't opening it in New York, it might make sense to like go to Maine or Vermont, one of these new upcoming circus schools and and use a, a lot of space. There, yeah. But given that we're in New York, we don't have much time. We got a little budget. Yeah. Like this or is... do creation. I like saying that now that we're in circus. Because, okay, so for theater, I'm talking to Perry now. For theater, you say rehearsals, you know. But for circus, you say creation. The creation process. And it sounds so much more uh, mystical. Well, it comes from this idea or this like this this concept that the show isn't written before the circus performers get right, there. So like you it create, needs to be you created. You literally create it, whereas you rehearse the show because it's already written. Exactly. Interesting. Well, we're going to create it. So it's real creation. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half week creation period. Yeah. And we'll be posting, you know, lots of backstage, behind the scenes stuff that Perry shoots. Uh, so keep an eye on our Instagram and our Facebook, uh, for some behind the scenes fun things. Yeah. And, uh, sorry that this podcast is kind of short this week. Oh, are we not going to do the Joe Pinzon? Oh, well, oh, you think we'll, he'll get back to us? Well, I think we just say, Joe, I'm going to put it online tonight at 8 PM. Yeah. Like, and I... I edit it after lunch okay. and then say, like, you so have four hours now, to look at it before okay. I post it. So our guest on today's podcast... Just, sorry, just setting up. Okay, I think sure. I talked over you. So our guest on today's podcast is Joe Pinzon. I met Joe... Where did I meet Joe? I think I might have met him in, um, in England somewhere. But Joe is an amazing circus performer who uh, went to ENC, which we've talked about on the show a few times... He graduated circus school in Montreal. Yeah. He graduated doing silks, but he now performs trapeze a lot. He's based in California, but has worked with Seven Fingers, Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Cirque du He really has an amazing performing background. But what's most interesting to us about Joe is that this past year, he's been mounting his new show called Filament. And it's a show that Joe is directing. He wrote it himself. He's producing it. It was just at a festival in the Czech Republic. And talking to somebody else who's in this boat of trying to create new contemporary circus shows in America uh, led for a really interesting conversation. Yeah. So if you enjoy our podcast, make sure to like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, which is probably the most interesting, and follow us on Twitter. 
Oh, yeah. And I, we mentioned in the last few podcasts, but if you subscribe to our mailing list, we send out a circus news roundup every Friday. So if you want to get, you know, all of the weekly circus news directly to your inbox, we also have ticket discounts both to our shows and other Cirque du Soleil shows. Last week, we had a Toruk discount. Uh, go to our website. Subscribe. Here's Joe. Where are you originally from, Joe? I am born and raised in Los Angeles, California. In L.A., like... Right in, in LA? LA, LA proper, Los Angeles. Not a suburb, not some kind of off skirt. Literally, Orange County, LA. LA. What was that like growing up? I, I can't. I honestly oh. can't even imagine growing up in LA. Well, I mean, you don't notice it when you're growing up how weird the city is because you're just living it and you're here, just living your life. And uh, it's only in hindsight that I <laughs> notice things. To discover how off. My childhood was. <laughs> you know, you grow up used to things like um, I remember being in fifth grade and that's when the L.A. riots were. Yeah. And so I had to get sent home from school and not go to school for an entire week just in case my school burnt down. My and to me, I was just like, oh, OK. But looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that's pretty nuts. And, um, you know, being in L.A., it's, the industry is all there. And I had some classmates who would leave school a bit early to go on auditions for commercials and movies and TV and stuff. And that was totally normal for me. So, yeah. As a kid, were, it, you, were you seeing a circus? Were you into circus? Um, as a kid, not so much. I mean, I remember seeing Ringling when I was four. My parents took me and my two sisters, but um, not live until I was an early teen. What show did you see as an early teen? Um, I saw Mystere for the first time when I was 13 in Las Vegas. Was that a life-changing moment for you where you were like, oh yeah, circus is, is still whatever? Um, no, it was a life-changing moment. I mean, before that, I had seen Cirque du Soleil on TV when it was playing on HBO. And um, those were cool. So that was like when I was around 11, 12 that I started to get into that. Were and you... then seeing it for the first time at 13 was just like, oh man, this is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but were you into into acting or theater? I was into musical theater as a kid. Yeah, I was always singing and dancing around the house. <laughs> and then, you know, auditions for school stuff would pop up. And I was a good mimic, like uh, <laughs> especially with... Uh, music on the radio i was able to imitate whoever i heard and everyone thought that was psychotic <laughs> you know because there's this like eight-year-old filipino kid sounding exactly like mariah carey like that's not normal <laughs> oh my god i i would have loved to hear that oh uh, it's still there <laughs> oh will you, will you sing a little mariah do, do i or can i no can't like right now like I perhaps the Christmas <laughs> song or Christmas song. Oh, because that's just a little too incriminating for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep that one offline. <laughs> that's for personal enjoyment only. <laughs> and you went to um, regular university for a while, right? Before you went to circus school? Yes, I went to UCLA um, right after high school. You know, the whole normal, I mean, quote unquote, normal right. educational route, you know, elementary school, high school, college. So yeah, and I uh, completed my degree over there. What did you study um, at UCLA? I did psychology. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that's applicable to what you do now or was it just a good opportunity for you to be exposed to a kind of liberal arts environment? 
Well, I mean, growing up, I was a super academic kid, like very competitive academically. And so when I applied to UCLA, I actually got in as a biology major. And I realized that I kind of wasn't into science anymore <laughs> when I got there. But, you know, I did want to stay in the scientific realm. So I chose psychology because mainly I didn't have to do chemistry. Yeah. Um, I was awful at chemistry and still am and still makes zero sense to me. But that major didn't require it. So I'm like, yes. And um, I actually really love psychology. Just, um, you know, exploring the human mind, how it works physically and behaviorally. It was really fascinating to me. So it was great. Were you training dance or circus or acting at that point? Um, I was actually. I mean, what was great about UCLA is that they had a recreational gymnastics program, which was free. And uh, they offered classes every Tuesday and Thursday, and I took those classes my entire four years, in addition to certain classes off campus. And because it was part of the curriculum, I was able to take dance classes for free and get credit and grades. So I did that all four years at UCLA. How did you get turned on to circus school? Um, well, what happened is that, you know, you, you would see Cirque du Soleil live and you would buy the program and there would always be advertisements at the back of the, the book and um, there were advertisements for ENC back in the day and I remember those and I kept those and I did a little bit of research and I always wanted to go but wasn't sure if I could ever make it in and then after I graduated I thought, you know, I'm going to try, you know, why not? If I make it in cool, if I don't, well, then we'll see what's up. And I tried, and I got in. Your, your first ta- your first first audition. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, what apparatus did you audition on? I didn't uh, have an apparatus. I did acro dance, which was <laughs> <laughs> which was something. But, well, um, I love I that. Mean, I, that's all I had. You know, if if I were to audition nowadays, there was probably no way that I would have gotten in. But my upper hand that I had during that era where I auditioned was that I was a really good dancer then and almost nobody in that auditioning year could dance so mm. I stood out can you tell, tell us a little bit about what going to ENC was like the only other person we've had on the podcast who's talked about it has been Uve but I think for mm-hmm. particularly young people who are considering going to circus school any insight you have into like what the day-to-day life of that is like would be valuable um ENC is a three-year investment. When you go there, you kind of just focus on that and nothing else. I mean, it is a school. It's an institution. So you are required to go to classes and you get graded and you get scored and compared. It's pretty, it's silently competitive, even though you're all doing different disciplines, but you all want to do your best. And it's quite amazing to be in an environment where everyone is striving to be good and working really hard to research and innovate and up their technical game. It is motivating, super motivating. Um, it, it is hard too because um, it's your early 20s, late teens that you go there <clears throat> where you're really still discovering yourself and who you want to be and what you actually want to do. And having those two worlds happen simultaneously can be a lot. Um, so it does take a, not toll, but it, it does influence your day-to-day life in that, you know, you kind of eat, sleep, drink, go to school. <laughs> <laughs> For me personally, I didn't do circus before going there, 
my first circus class ever was at ENC, as you can imagine. And so without that school, I would have never been able to do circus at all. You graduated doing silk, right? Or fabric. Yeah, I did silks as my concentration. Um, and that was what I went into the school as a silks major, if you want to call it that. Because at, um, at your audition, they, they have a list and um, I mean, this this form you got to fill out and I say, well, if you wanted to go to ENC, what would your concentration be? And I put silks because that seemed like the most logical thing to put down with the skills that I had. So you studied silk all three years? Mm-hmm. And, and then I did, um, uh, uh, I, I would guess, call it a minor in dance trapeze. And I started uh-huh. that around second year. Were your parents supportive of you doing circus? <laughs> no. <laughs> that is a resounding no. They're like, um, where'd the science boy go? Where'd the what? The science boy? Exactly. That's what they were asking. And it was um, it was hard for them at first because, you know, I invested so much into my academic career. And, you know, so did they financially. And, you know, my father's a doctor. My mother's a nurse. And, you know, my... I have two sisters, one of them, she does finance, and the other one is in education. So it's a very mathematical family that I come from. And, and I'm, you know, is that still in me? Yeah, it is. And it's just a part of me, though. It's not all that I like doing. Um, but this artistic side of me, I guess, was kind of undeniable ever since I was a kid. And I wanted to at least give it a shot. And if it didn't work, then I would just resort to what I was good at doing. Um, but at the beginning, they were just not cool about it. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard for any parent who doesn't understand. They didn't understand. You know, my parents come from the Philippines where something like this just isn't really heard of. And, um, you know, they did come around. They, they supported me um, financially because <laughs> I couldn't. And they weren't going to let me go on my own without being able to survive. And um, I was very fortunate in that way. And they started believing in it when I was in second year because the LA Times came to Montreal uh, to do a, a reportage on, you know, Tohu and the Circus City because Verakai was opening up in Southern California. And the PR guy at ENC thought it was a great idea for them to interview me since I came from LA. And so a week later, there's a huge picture of me in the calendar section doing this really awful elbow stand. And um, <laughs> all of their friends were like, oh my God, is that him? Is that him? And so my parents became super popular all of a sudden. <laughs> and they loved that. So they're like, oh, maybe he is onto something. So. <laughs> Did you have uh, trouble finding work work after school or was it easy? Um, For me, it wasn't that easy because what I did, you know, I mean, even just describing it, you know, an Asian guy who does silks, that's a hard sell. And um, after Akruf Santez, which is the night that, you know, we all perform our, our acts, I got approached by the big three, you know, who were super interested. And the big three I'm referring to, Cirque du Soleil, Cirque Was, and the Seven Fingers. They were came up to me and really loved what I did. And so from that moment, I thought, oh, this is going to be cool. I got these people talking to me. And then for six months, nothing happened. And six months is a, you know, it isn't a long time in terms of real time. But when you're looking for a job, it's a long time. Yeah. And then I would see all of my other classmates who were in my year. And, you know, I, I came from a psychotically good year. 2005 was a... It's a 
top year for graduates. They all got work, and I was probably the last one to score a contract. I would do gigs here and there in Montreal, and that would keep me afloat, but it still wasn't like a two-month thing at least, and where all my classmates had like year-long stuff already. Who was your first contract with? My first contract was with Cirque du Soleil on a cruise ship. That was um, a project they were doing to the special events department, and that was two months. And um, it was quite special. (laughs) (laughs) Just because it wasn't like we were doing a show every day for the passengers. We did one show every two weeks. What? What were you doing the rest of the time? lounging around in Hawaii. That sounds like a great contract. <laughs> it sounds like a great contract, but it's not what all you want to do is work. Is perform, yeah. Yeah, like I was fresh out of school. All I wanted to do was bust out my number every day, and I did it. I didn't even do it once every two weeks. I was a character uh, and the backup act. So I trained my act, but I never actually got to perform it on the ship. Oh. It was a shame because, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. Like, they made us all use... So just so many music because it was like special events and stuff. So they gave me this really, they gave me a song from O and it was really pretty. And I got to choreograph my silk sack to it. And it's a shame nobody got to see it, but my castmates did. So that was cool. <laughs> what was the thing after the cruise ship? After the cruise ship, it was still a lot of gigging. Um, here and there, certain contracts, never really anything solid. Um, that summer, I did the uh, research and creation project with uh, ENC, and we did a show called Honolulu Punch, me and seven other students, uh, six other students, there were seven of us total, and that was really cool. It was a three-month process. We only ended up doing three shows, but one of the coolest processes I've ever been a part of, and we made a show, it was only an hour, but it was really really good in my opinion and um so that held me through the summer and then still after that i was it was hard for me to score jobs until i that winter i think that was december 2016 if the timeline is correct i actually decided to stop doing circus because i was so discouraged um in 2016 so six. Oh, i was like just uh, wait oh just, my God, just this year yeah sorry <laughs> wait, this year yeah 2006 yeah i had decided to stop doing circus because i was really just discouraged from the no's the maybes and um i thought well maybe if it's not for me then i'll just move on to something else but i you know so i started packing up so i was sending myself home and bought a plane ticket home and they just had a few things to tie up, which included a few gigs and then an audition for a was. And I was like, I'll just do this, whatever. And then I'm ready to move back. And that audition was for uh, Danielli's third creation with a was. And um, uh, I went in not expecting anything because I knew they were looking for an aerialist female. And I was wondering why they wanted to bring me in. But my friend was on the auditioning team. She's like, Joe, just go in. They, they are interested in whatever they can get. And you're just such an interesting candidate. And I said, fine, okay. And I had nothing to lose. So I went in, I gave them everything I did. And then I got a call back. And then a few days later, I got another call back. And it was then they told me that I was in the show. What show is that? It was Nebbia. It was just really unexpected because in my mind, I, I stopped. But um, 
I guess the universe has a way. Yeah. Um, you never like, you're really... not done yet. Yeah, circus doesn't really let go of you once it's got you. <laughs> it, it, it kind of doesn't. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, you never can expect the perfect job to happen. And you never really know when the right job for you is going to roll along. And this just came out of the blue. And I said, all right, this sounds great. It, it was with a director that I always wanted to work with. It was with a company that I loved like, and so to have that opportunity, I mean, I wasn't going to say no. I mean, come on, man. So, <laughs> How long a contract was that? Uh, that was two years. Um, but I, it, it was technically three because um, our uh, creation process was delayed a year. Mm -hmm. uh, well, less than a year. It was like eight months that we had to push it back. But you, you now are sort of transitioning more into a directing producing role yeah um i mean that kind of i don't want to say is by default but it's just something that well to be honest it wasn't something i was expecting to do i i wrote the show back in 2011 you, uh, you mean, you mean uh, filament yes filament uh it's the show that i'm getting off the ground now and it's 2016 <laughs> <laughs> So it's taken a while, but, um, you know, I didn't, I just had these ideas and I wrote them all down and I tried to hash them out and wanted to see if they worked and lo and behold, they did. And, um, it, I'm working towards that now. I don't think I'm done performing yet, to be quite honest. Um, but I did want to lay the groundwork for the next step. Mm -hmm. So. Can you talk a little bit about what Filament is about and sort of the, the process you've gone through to get it on its feet? Yeah, sure. Uh, Filament is a contemporary circus show, and uh, it has a linear storyline, which is something that was very challenging to pull off. And But that's one of the reasons why I created it. I wanted to see, one, does it work? But two, can it be good? Like, will people actually like it? Because it, it hasn't really been seen all that much yet. You know, you see shows that have a theme or imagery that ties it all together, but never really an A to Z storyline. So um, I wrote one uh, that's kind of really easy to follow and based off of stuff that I enjoy, which is teen movies from the 80s. <laughs> um, which doesn't mean that it's an 80s show, but that's the huge misconception. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, you made an 80s show. I'm like, no, just the stories are kind of inspired by them because of when I watch those films, the simplicity of the storylines, you know, especially something like The Breakfast Club, which the premise is five kids in detention. Mm -hmm. and that's it. Right. You know, like, what, how do they interact? What are their stories? Uh, how do they move on from there? It's so simple. Um, and it's effective. It's a glimpse into this afternoon where these five kids who probably would never be caught seeing with each other have to... <laughs> stay there and, um, <laughs> you know and um I, I guess it's coming from a very western point of view as well because you know i'm american a lot of my friends are american we all grew up seeing these films so they make sense to us and with the globalization of information with the internet and everything people around the world are seeing these films too so they get it i don't know how much they can relate to them culturally but they get it and realizing that some of the themes do apply to them even though their culture might be different. It's, it's all about growing up and self-discovery. So I wanted to put that um, on a stage and told through circus. Um, 
So the circus acts as a storytelling device instead of just being like, oh, here's an act. It's like, wait a minute, no, it's an act that helps push that character's story along. So. And how did how did you get it on its feet? Um, well, like I said, I wrote it in 2011, and it kind of stayed dormant for years, um, mainly because I was working and also money. Like, I just didn't have any means to get it off the ground. And then at a certain point, I think I was in Germany doing a show called Soap, which is now called Wet, with the GOPs, and one of my friends was like, uh, Jordan Dawson, which who you probably know. <laughs> one day I was just hearing myself complain about it. He's like, Joe, why don't you just do it? And I said, well, you know, there's money and there's a lot of this and there's a lot of work. He's like, yeah, but you've been working all these years. You saved up all this money. Why don't you just, like, do it? And <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Like, I know. I'm like, thanks, guy. But um, <laughs> to be honest, that's all I really needed to hear. It's like, well, why am I not doing it? And it was really, like, I was kind of super scared. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I didn't know if I could do it. But from him saying that, I'm like, you know what? I'm actually going to try. So when that contract ended and I went home, I laid down the groundwork for what needed to be done. Um, I started calling people up. I started looking at venues. And it was just a workshop that I was going to do in LA just to see if, like, can this work? So I took a portion of it. Um you know, paid for a lot of things. And, you know, we put it on for just one night because that's all I could afford. And um, invited some friends, invited some people, and the response was really good. And so that was really encouraging and gave me the, the motivation to fully see it realized. So after the workshop in LA, did it, is that when I went to the festival? Um, well, the festival happened by pure chance, like you said, the universe has its ways. Um, <laughs> I, I ran a Kickstarter that summer after to, to help get the show a bit more funded because, you know, when you pay for everything by yourself, it's not the funnest. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, um, and you know, running a Kickstarter campaign, that's psychotic as well. That's a 24 seven job, you know, you go to sleep, you wake up, and it's all about the campaign. But we were able to raise a good amount of money towards um, getting the show off the ground. Was it enough, to be quite honest? No, the show needed more. And so I was looking at what my options were, and bottom line, you know, because the show didn't exist, people had a really hard time wanting to invest into it. And so I said, well, I just got to do it myself, just like, just like before. So, you know, good old small business investment going to the bank and <laughs> using my credit to <laughs> help get some more funding and it happened but at the same time doing something in the states is not easy mm. as you guys probably are familiar with yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of um a lot of legal work that doesn't make it very simple especially when you have people coming from abroad, especially when you're using music, yep. uh, when it comes to insurance and um, venues and stuff, it's not easy. It's as if they make it not easy. But that's just my perception. Is it no, easy? I think well, if you have the money, that's our fine. perception too. It's yeah. hard. It's as if they're like, nope, you're not going to be able to do it. So I was, again, discouraged. And I, out of the blue, well, not out of the blue, I've been talking with... Um, this guy who's had my back for a while, Wolfgang Hoffman out of Berlin, 
I saw him at the Adelaide Fringe Festival and I told him, Wolfgang, man, I'm getting real discouraged. You know, every a lot of people are super interested, but nobody's giving me a definite yes. And all I need is some help. You know, I, I, I don't know what else to do on my own. I'm not that knowledgeable of this market. I, I or not, not this market, the circus market. I'm talking about like the production side of things. I don't know what I'm doing. And all I need is somebody to either lend me a hand or, or guide me or something. I just need a break. And he said, I'll see what I can do. And then a couple months later, I get an email from him saying, you know, there's this festival in the Czech Republic whose headliner has just dropped out due to sickness or injury or something. And um, I pitched a show to him and he wants it. And I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then a couple of hours later, he's like, yep, he's confirmed it. He wants it. Here's what he's going to give you. Here's what you get. You get a two-week residency. He's going to pay for um, accommodations. You get to use the theater for the entire two weeks at your own disposal, and then you get to premiere the festival and you get two shows. I said, uh... Perfect. Hey, thanks. <laughs> um, I did not expect that at all, but, you know, like I said before, somebody out there will want what you have. Yeah. And all you got to do is just put in the effort and make the best product you believe it's supposed to be. You know, how did you name? How did you name it? Filament. Filament. <clears throat> well, filament is. Or why? Well, I guess is the better question. If you don't know what it is, it's the wire inside a light bulb, which mm -hmm. you know the old school incandescent light bulbs, because now everything's LED. Um, yeah, it's it's that wire that you see inside, and you know depending on the current that runs through it, it can go brighter, it can go dimmer, and um, so. In a ways, the title is a throwback to that old school lighting, mm -hmm. maybe because I don't like LED lighting on stage. I really think it's really isolating and very cold, especially if you see an LED white, it's blue, really icy. And I go towards that warmth because that's what I grew up with, that's what I like. So it's a throwback to that kind of lighting. Um, if you see in our show, there's almost no LED lighting. It's all that incandescent lighting. Um, and the filament is also a metaphor for, I know this is going to be super cheesy, for your heart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the energy that runs through you and the emotions that run through you really dictate the external output. So um, it just seemed like a name that made sense, but it was also mean on its own a very pretty word it is a very pretty it's word it's so funny joke I thought it was like a Thomas Edison reference because I think I remember reading like maybe in high school or middle school the thing that Thomas Edison struggled with with inventing the light bulb was getting like the filament piece to work and then eventually they found out like what was the filament they needed and I was like oh that's a cool like um, sort of reference to to trying to, to get something and then finally succeeding well, um, it could be that too now. So, <laughs> you got that there. Yeah, so there you go. Additional, additional metaphors for your yes. for your grant proposals. Layers and layers. <laughs> um, so, what's do you have future plans for the show? Do you have anything you you'd like to see it go? Um, I mean, of course, I want to see it run. Um, but um, <laughs> that's also just like wishful thinking to think that the snap of your finger something can run. It takes a long time. I mean, luckily, um, like that guy that I mentioned before, Wolfgang, he uh, is the founder of Aurora Nova, which is an agency based out of Berlin, and they have a really beautiful repertoire of shows, and 
I'm very fortunate that he has asked me to be part of that repertoire. So he's now working to see where we can get the show up and going. And um, he is at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival currently and talking to people there. And, you know, it's all talk, though. Uh, so this is how I always function. Like, unless I see a contract, right. <laughs> I don't really believe it. Because so, mm-hmm. a lot of talk is just talk. <laughs> what do you feel like you learned after after directing and producing your first show? Did it change your perception of circus or of as an art form? Um, it, it really has. You know, I mean, I'll be honest. The reason why I created Filament in the first place is because I was super critical of stuff, and I wasn't really seeing anything that I wanted to see. Or, you know, uh, there was a period of time where I had the opportunity to watch a bunch of shows and kind of didn't like a lot of them. And maybe that's just me being super picky or whatever. It's a question of taste, obviously, but and I, I thought to myself, well, if I'm not liking all this stuff, how come what I want to see isn't out there? So that was one of the motivating factors for me to create filament. And um, also, having been on the production side, I have so much respect for producers. Um, as an artist, you're super spoiled. Because um, all you have to do is read the contract, negotiate for what you want, and you either get it or you don't, or there's some kind of middle ground that you can find, and then you just perform, and that's all you really need to do. What artists don't realize is that producers, <laughs> a lot of them don't get paid, or get paid <laughs> a fraction of what artists make. Um, they, they don't sleep. They, um, they have to take on a lot of responsibilities that they don't even really know how to do sometimes, but because of their position, have to figure it out somehow. And it, it all works out in the end how it's supposed to, but like, when I go see any kind of show now, I'm very, I'm more sympathetic to a lot of things. You know, I used to be super critical, like, oh my god, the lighting, or the costumes, or this and that and this. But when I see a show now, I realize, you know, somebody believed in this. Somebody said yes to this, somebody invested money into this and wants to see it get off the ground. And whether I like it or not, I mean, that's just a question of taste, but you have to respect the fact that somebody had initiative and drive. And watching stuff now with these eyes, it makes me enjoy things more, to be quite honest. Would you do it again? Um, I would. Uh, maybe not in the same way. <laughs> maybe not all by myself either. But I mean, I, I still got some things that I'd like to see on the stage, and I I think there's a forum for it, and an audience would like to see those kinds of things. Um, I don't know if anytime soon is the right time to do it either, because let's be honest, let's get the first thing rolling first. Um, <laughs> Like, how can you make something if the first thing isn't even successful or you can't even pay something off? But, I mean, there are some ideas in my head that I'd like to see developed in. Would I do it again? Yes, because, one, it's nice to know that I can and that I got some support behind me in terms of people believing what I could do. Um, in terms of the execution process, you know, you learn a lot when you do it the first time. You learn what to do, you learn what not to do. Um, but you first of all learn that it's doable mm-hmm. and you shouldn't let a huge workload deter you from creating something you just would like to see. There's always going to be a way for you to make something. 
whether it's your ideal process or not, that's questionable, but there's always a way. And um, if you really want it, you're going to go for it. Well, those are words of wisdom if I've, I've ever heard them. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to understand, it's not an easy road. I mean, you guys are two. I mean, you guys are making your next show a slumber, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and there's two of you. That's one more than I had. I know, you know, I honestly I, don't I know how you did it alone. I would have pulled all of my hair out if I was by myself. Oh, I have a new batch of gray hair on the back of my head. It's <laughs> really cute. But I mean, it goes to show me, like I said before, a lot of people were interested but didn't give me the backing. And at the end of the day, what that means is you got to do it alone. you, yeah. you got to do it by yourself. And, when I did it by myself, I mean, yes, I had my team with me, you know, I had my assistant, I had a choreographer, I had a dramaturg, I had another assistant, and they were there during the creation process, but everything before that, that was mainly me, right. and it was not easy, but what are you going to do, like, cry, and, I mean, yeah, I cried, but, you know, <laughs> what, what, are you going to stop, and, yeah, I mean, there were times where I wanted to stop, but I had, I was in too deep, and, um, what if I pulled out that was already a lot of money wasted and then what I was what was I gonna do? I didn't have anything lined up uh, performing wise, so I had to just follow through and uh, it's better to have done something and like learn whether it was worth it or not than to not try and wonder what if. I'm I'm saying all these cheesy <laughs> cheesy eighties movies. Yeah, that you hear from like you know, like a cat poster. We could just watch we should make a a a desk calendar with Joe quotes. Inspirational. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and next to each quote you should have a picture of my face of me going through the process of me ripping clumps of hair out. Or Yeah, you're bald. By December you're bald. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's just a, a spot. <laughs> Although <laughs> I will, this is a an awkward segue, but I can I can segue it in. Um, did you read RuPaul's Work in It book? I did not read RuPaul's Work in It book. I should put that on my list, but yeah. I have not read it. And it's, are there any words of wisdom you want to impart on to me? There are so many that I I can't remember, but almost the entire book is just words of pumping you up like yeah not much not much biography not much like anything just like you can do anything girl work it you look fabulous you know I was just like I feel like I can do anything after reading that book yeah I mean RuPaul is a great example of someone who made it happen I mean who knew that RuPaul's Drag Race would be this global phenomenon and inspire so many people to go on. And when you hear, oh my God, the best is when you actually read interviews or see him interviewed, he is straightforward to the point and is honest. It's like, this is not easy, but what are you gonna do? You know, that, that's exactly what he says. And yeah. Great inspiration and role model. I mean, a lot of people think that it's just a man in a dress and he only is sometimes now, but you know, even just watching this, um, this marathon that's on logo leading up to All Stars 2 premiere tomorrow. Oh my gosh, there's, it's tomorrow. So many, I'm so pumped up for it, but look what this man did. He made yeah. us pumped up for a bunch of drag queens competing against each other. That's I awesome. Know. But also, you know? it's like I didn't get drag until I started watching Drag Race. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I appreciate it, but I didn't understand it. And then I literally did a marathon of Drag Race and Drag Race All-Stars. And and then I started watching Skin Wars because he's a judge on Skin Wars. Mm-hmm. And then I read his book. And then I read Michelle Visage's book. And now I'm just obsessed. Who's Michelle Visage? She's like another judge on Drag yeah. Race. She's like his right-hand man. She is amazing. She's like... She's a drag queen. She much. came up through like the New York voguing club scene, mm-hmm. and that's where she met RuPaul. And uh, it makes me like respect her opinion even more, knowing her background. Yeah, and that's what's lovely about all of this stuff. All these programs that show the other side of art, yeah. the other side of the creation of art. You know, like even with circus, people really don't know how we do what we do. You know, so I mean, nobody's made a circus. Um, well, they kind of had, but it fell apart. But, you know, it's, it's once you understand the process or get a glimpse of the process, your respect for it grows. Yes. And um, something like Drag Race is amazing. Even, like you said, Skin Wars and something like Face Off, which is like prosthetic makeup. I love makeup Face Off, too. Yeah. <laughs> basically, we all can just these, share a TV. <laughs> yeah, all of these, like, competition art shows are so um, revelatory of the genres and the processes of what we do and how we get to where we are. And does it create respect? Well, yeah, it does. And um, does it elevate the art form? You hope it would. But it takes people, it gives you, people have to be exposed to these kind of things in order for any of us to get there. And, you know, you're seeing in like in the States, you know, circus is just kind of relegated to Cirque du Soleil or Ringling, kind of. Whereas yeah. everywhere else in the world, they're like, yes, circus is an art form, circus is an art form. So it's like, how do we do that here in the States? I don't know. It's just getting people exposed to it, but how, you know? We usually wrap the podcast with a few of the same questions, but we've been tossing tossing new ones in there. Um, but I'll, I'll start. But I have a first one. Okay, go for Who it. is your all-time favorite drag race com- competitor? Oh, wow. My favorite all-time drag race competitor is Latrice Royale. <laughs> I love Latrice. Latrice Royale. Whenever she loves screen, I just get, like, a warm feeling in my heart. I love her. The thing is, she's good, too. Like, she is not only just, like... I mean, she's busy. She's in jail. <laughs> I know. She went to jail. She went to jail. She's lived. And you can't have a perspective on a lot of things unless you've lived, really. Yeah. And you've been through a lot. And so that kind of wisdom and knowledge it just really shines through what she does. And that's why I appreciate a drag queen like her. Love Latrice. <laughs> yeah. So one that I'm, I've been asking recently is, do you have a piece of advice that somebody else has given you that has really stuck with you? Um, yeah, it was, um, it was Daniela. Uh, we did Nebbia. I remember during the process, I was feeling super burnt out because, you know, I was giving everything, you know, and uh, I had, he talked to me and I had to explain to him, like, I'm not giving everything. He's like, Joe, if you give everything every night, you're not going to have anything left for yourself when you leave that stage. So give what you can and remember who you are afterwards. And that was really, really important advice for me to hear. Because I had to learn how to dose my energy. It, it also made me realize that I'm more than just a performer. 
I'm a person. I have things that I deal with off stage. I have family that I care about, friends I care about. I am more than my stage life. So for someone in a position of authority to tell me something like that meant the world, because then it made me realize that it's not all about what we do. Hmm. Is there a show, a circus show or a theater show that you would recommend to somebody who's trying to educate themselves on circus? Um, yeah, there are quite a few. Um, I mean, I would say see something like Kidong. Because like, to me, Kidong uh, marked a huge shift for circus show. Like, uh, it, it was a show that was super dark for them to do. And it got a lot of flack for that. But it touched on a lot of a lot of themes that many places weren't willing to go to see that from a circus show was quite astounding. Um, so I would suggest you know, uh if you could see uh, Ray by Circle Lawrence, another one for me. Was um, the show before uh, Nebbia? Yeah, that was the show before Nebbia. Uh, yeah, that that actually, that's just a kind of personal choice because once I saw that line, I'm like, I'm sold. This is there's also some stuff that um, you know I wasn't expecting to see ever in my life, but like stuff by James Kelly. Oh yeah, man, he's oh, the best. Man, we love him. Oh, Josh loves him, and then we I finally saw one of his shows, and did you, I did you see his new thing that's at the Fringe? This I did not see it because I had left before. It's actually at the Edinburgh Festival, not at the Fringe Festival. Oh. But um, it, um, it's, it's, I didn't get to see it. I'm so bummed. But I saw, um, when I was in Moscow with Nebbia, I saw two of his pieces. And then I saw, no, I didn't see two of his pieces. I saw one. And then his sister show, Aurelia. Did. She is so talented as well. She, yeah, I saw her show. And then I saw Raul at BAM. Did I see it with you? Uh, yeah, I think we did see it together. <laughs> yeah, we did see it together. Yeah, that was cuckoo pants, man. Dude, that and, show was so good. Yeah, that man's brain. Who would you recommend we interview next? Oh, you know, Fred Fister. Oh, Fister. man, Brett Fister is, is on my list. I would say ask him because he's worked for many companies. He's got a very, very... A really great viewpoint on circus and performing and the industry, and he knows so much more than like I feel I do. And he's also a great like person to listen to. Yes, he is. He is. Yeah, I would think because he's he's worked so much and he's done a lot, and so. What he has to say, I think, would be very yeah. interesting for your I think Brett's going to be in New York in November, so uh, we'll try to connect then. Yeah. Um, but, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a really fascinating conversation. Um, no pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, yeah, Joe. Thanks. thanks, you guys, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, and remember to always walk purse first. Purse first! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm back. It's Perry. That was our interview with Joe Pinzon. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and rate us on iTunes. See you next week.